Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby pod. After a statement weekend of rugby, we saw huge performances from France and Ireland to get through despite all of the injuries they copped. We saw the Drua give it to the Crusaders in the end, which was amazing. Plus, we saw the Manawa continue on their way to what is likely in a couple of weeks' time a Super Rugby Opiki title unbeaten through all the pool play heading into the semi-finals. So much to talk, throwing into the line-out. What is a ruck exactly? All sorts of things to get into. No one in the studio with me. James Parsons is over on the North Shore. They revoked his visa, wouldn't let him over the Harbour Bridge. And over in Japan, Bryn Hall as well, uh, coming to us from his professional outfit over there. Guys, what a weekend of footy. Bryn, you asked for a statement from France, and that's what you got. It was an unbelievable match. I think the French talking about an explosion. Um, it was a lot more than that, to be honest. It was a bit of dynamite chucked in a Twickenham Stadium and blowing up the stadium because it was outstanding. I think um, we'll touch on a little bit more around the um, the details around it. Um, Dupont, man, oh man, what a what a statement game for him to be able to have a match that he did. He had his hands in absolutely everything, different types of variety and. Um, look, the French are going to be tough to beat if they're going to play like that defensively. Unbelievable. Um, but again, we'll go into a little bit more detail. But yeah, they were. They were outstanding and um, a performance that we were probably waiting for the last couple of weeks in that Six Nations. OK, off the back of that, let's get into the quick fire round, Chip. But let's start with you. Individual performance for the week for you that was absolutely jaw-dropping from any player. Oh, for me, it was um, Sam Kane. And, and I know it wouldn't be like the highlights package, but I think he started the season so well. 12 tackles, he's a top defender. Um, you know, a couple of turnovers, great in that breakdown. And then, you know, 24 carry metres with eight carries. He just was busy throughout the full 70 minutes. And, and I, you know, his form's red hot. Yeah, I had a couple. I could have gone Sam Kane. Luke Jacobson, who I thought for the Chiefs, played really, really well. Um, Hoskins Tutu had a great game for that, uh, for the Blues game. Um, he was he was influential. But for me, I've actually gone Frank Lamani for the Ndrua. I thought he was um, he was outstanding in that result in, um, in Latoka. Okay, the next one. After three weeks... For you guys, who is winning Super Rugby? Well, if you're going to go after a three-game three, uh, three game kind of schedule and um, I guess having a decision around that, you'd have to go to the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs at the moment, the way they're playing, um, the consistency that they're playing, they're more so their attack. I'm loving their attack at the moment. So you have to go to the Chiefs and the Blues. Um, I think with their performance against the Hurricanes and really finding it out, uh, really grinding out a tough win, um, it would have to be the Blues in second. But I think for the Crusaders as well, um, 
I think if you're going to go against them, um, it's your own at your own peril because uh, I think at the back end of the season they'll come good. But at the moment, after three rounds, you'd have to say the Chiefs and the Blues would be the favourites. Oh, yeah. One win from three so far. Not a great start. <laughs> Jipper? Chiefs has to be Chiefs. They're, they're clinical at the moment. Such a great brand of footy they're playing. Um, you know, the only thing that could trip them up is, is, you know, if any of their key players get injured. So hopefully that doesn't happen and they can keep that that dream uh, dream start rolling. Hey, we're going to get into the Drua versus the Crusaders in just a moment. But based off what you saw in Latoka, yes or no, should World Rugby mandate a certain number of yearly trips for Tier 1 nations to Tier 2 nations to play test matches in those countries? I don't think you'll have to mandate it. <laughs> you know, you look at the themes. Um, I know there probably isn't many uh, players lining up to go play in that heat <laughs> in the afternoon, but um, look, I think, it, I think it would be outstanding to see some Tier 1 nations um, go there, and, and you know the people um, would absolutely go ballistic for it. The scenes that you saw on the weekend, um, it's only... Yeah, I think the more opportunities that they do get to be able to play Tier 1 Nations, it's only going to grow, um, I guess, their ability to be able to have games at home against Tier 1 Nations. Because, you know, imagine England, or, you know, an Ireland being able to go to um, go to Fiji and, I guess, go into play in those kind of surroundings. It's something completely different, and we'll touch on how hard it is to be able to play in Fiji. But, um, yeah, I think the more time that they can get there, it'd be great for the country and, I guess, for the brand of footy uh, for the Fijians to be able to see. Not only just the All Blacks or the kind of... Um, Southern Hemisphere teams and all the Hemisphere teams would be great for them to be able to get into Fiji and, and play a brand of footy in that kind of weather. We'll talk about that weather a bit more than Bryn. Like 25-24 to the draw over the Crusaders. The Crusaders made a little comeback to be back in the game there. But how difficult is it? Oh, I can only speak from experience. I've heard Latoka is actually a lot hotter than um, it is in Suva. But yeah, it, it, it's tough. The conditions in, in Fiji are just a little bit different. Um, it's sticky, the humidity, um, and also the Fijians and the ability that they play when they're at home. They play completely different. Um, you know, whether that be experience that I've played with New Zealand Mouldies playing Fiji, I just remember playing in a very hot, similar game, and they just um, they, they beat us up and really just um, convincingly beat us. So, but in saying that, the Crusaders were their own worst enemies. Um, you know, they had a lot of hand, um, handling errors, um, and I think for them, they won't be using that as an excuse. They they would have prepared knowing what that that week was going to look like, and I guess um, they just gave them a bit of too many opportunities. And you could see in that last 20 minutes, when when it's tight, you get the crowd involved. And with that weather, um, it was a tough outing. I think, to be honest, uh, they were lucky in the end, I think, to even have the chance to be leading with a minute to go because I thought the Andrua um, were the better team predominantly than most of their game. And, um, you know, the, the Crusaders went to their line-out more and set piece. But in the end, um, I think it was deserving of how I, I think the game went with the Fiji Andrua playing a lot better than the Crusaders did. Jip, why is that? You've got to credit McBurn and his coaching staff. Like We said at the start of the year, that if they get the balance of their game right, they can be a threat. You know, both Bryn and I had them slipping into the top eight at the start of the season. But, you know, we sort of use um, that quick tap they did against the Brumbies last season. They've just defended 15 minutes. They did a quick tap. They turned it over and then the Brumbies scored, you know, seconds later. If you look, they only had two rucks inside their own 22. You know, last year we were seeing numbers, you know, up to the high 20s of them trying to play out of their half. Two rucks in their own 22 is a massive sign that they are not prepared to risk playing too much down their end and they'll chance their arm further up the field. And that, that ability to have the quick tap um, that led to, uh, I know it was a knocked on try, but, um, you know, led to that opportunity that Frank Lamani took. It's those moments that are spot on. You know, sometimes he's going to have to hold that and kick to the corner, but they've, they've just got that balance right. They, they know their game. They obviously had 17 weeks to prepare in Fiji, so the conditions, that they, they were used to it. It was no different 
um, for them. So that definitely played a part. But I mean, that's that's part of their weaponry, isn't it? And, and being able to have those six home matches this this season it is going to be brutal to travel there. And Brent, from a Crusaders' point of view, where are they needing to improve? Because it's quite uncrusader-like to see them perform the way they have in a couple of the games so far this year. I think if you have in a three-week plan, you would have thought um, you know, two out of three would have been probably the ideal result, giving guys opportunities to be able to go over to Fiji and probably um, was a little bit underdone around that. Obviously, um, if they took this full-strength side there, it could have been a different story, but they you know, traditionally... In games like that, Razor has shown faith in being able to give guys opportunities. And to be honest, um, it's your job and your expectation to be able to perform when you're given that opportunity. And so, um, you know, I guess the players internally will be pretty disappointed with how they performed and I guess not getting that result. Um, but I think what they will do, the biggest concern that I have for the Crusaders at the moment is who's going to be in their midfield. Because I think David Harvilli is going to be a massive loss for that group. I'm not too sure how long um, that injury is going to be, but... You know, you saw against the Highlanders when you have Davey at 12 and what he brings for that group is really important. And with Jack Goodhue being injured, um, it's going to have to give guys another opportunity, like a guy like Dallas McLeod, who um, has been in and around that environment, being able to step up into that position of coming into 12. So um, it's going to be a massive game. You've got the Blues this weekend, who I think it's at Eden Park, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And um, they'll be um, chopping at the bit to be able to get their result in the final last year, coming at a good time. And they'll be thinking it's a good time to get the Crusaders in. Um, I know what their week will look like, but um, yeah, I guess at the moment, the guys that went over there weren't able to get the job done. And I guess the review from that will be pretty tough. And then um, they'll get the guys back on board with the likes of Richie and the guys that missed out in that game. Probably going to see a lot more consistency with with selections now, I think, moving forward. Um, you know, the Fiji and Drua was a good opportunity for a lot of young men to to get an opportunity and play. Uh, but I think you're going to start seeing a little bit more settled side within the next fortnight to three weeks with um, with the squad to try and build some some confidence and some and some um, some results. From your experience, what would Razor be like in this scenario when you, you're down a couple? What are the kind of messages that he's generally getting through? How does he approach a challenging situation? I remember last time we played, we, were, we played the Waratahs and um, it was a pretty disappointing uh, result that we had. And I think the review, I remember that review pretty, pretty vividly around um, our intent. What was your intent like in that game and how was your work rate off the ball? And I think um, from that kind of, from that kind of game, Looking back, um, our intent and our effort, effort areas weren't great. And so I guess that's where the first plate they'll look at around how was your intent and how was your effort. I mean, I think the best thing about that is it's a good chance to be able to, I guess, reconnect with that, with that. And then knowing against the Blues, you've got to be able to do that and have that intent and, and, and work right off the ball because against a Blues side, that's what you need. Um, they're, they're a quality side. And if you're not on for the full 80 um, collectively, um, you don't get it wrong. So I think that's where they will start. Um, that's how the review will, will kind of start. And then from there, they'll have the kind of the review of where they can get better, the preview of the Blues and how they can how they can look forward. But, you know, they'll take the learnings from that on a day one. And then from there, I can imagine it'll be a test match like um, pre um, preview and I guess preparation week, knowing what's coming ahead with the Blues at Eden Park. Let's have a look at the Blues, Chipper. I know you love to talk a bit of Blues footy every now and then. Roger Tuivasa-Shek made a big impact in ball in hand. If people are always looking, I suppose, because it's him versus the All Black incumbent, Geordie Barrett. They don't necessarily align in one-on-one -on -one matchups, but how did you feel Roger showcased himself in a game like that? Oh, yeah. Look, I think he's in good form. He's, a, he's had a couple of big games. I, I know, that obviously, the loss against the Brumbies, but he was, you know, man of the match um, internally at the Blues uh, for that game. Against, and then he's backed it up again um, this week. So he's just going about his business. I think he's, he, you know, the... I suppose the hype has sort of died down, and he, it's just allowed him to focus and zone in on what he wants to what, what he wants to do in that twelve jersey and make a statement and, and get himself back in that black t black jersey as well. What does he need to do? 
Well, I think it's the consistency. If he can show that level of performance week in, week out, like a Geordie Barrett um, does at this level, um, you know, and I think it'll bring the best out of Rico. So the the stronger that combination can be, the stronger his chances of, um, you know, obviously pushing, um, maybe not for a starting spot, but definitely, you know, that 23 spot. Because we know he can play on the wing as well. Um, he's pretty versatile, probably could, not sure if he's been tested at centre, but, you know, he does have the ability to play multiple spaces. But your only currency as a player is, is performance and, and, and consistent performance will be what uh, Ian Foster is looking for. But you've got to love the amount of involvement. He's getting himself involved. He's getting the ball in his hands. He's making, you know, great reads defensively. So, um, you know, long, long may it continue. One thing that I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more um, is his variety and kicking. I think at the moment, at that next level, you talked around the 12s, um, especially with Geordie and Davey, their skills around being able to take pressure off your, your 10 or your 9 with the kicking game. I think if Rog can be able to get that within the duration of this competition, we can see a little bit more growth around that. It doesn't have to be long kicks. It can be a little attacking kicks in behind to be able to give something different because um, I think you're right, Joe. I think his ability at 12 and understanding um, the attacking brand, whether it be distribution or good ball carries, I think that's a really it's been really, really good. And I think he'll continue to keep getting better at that. Just would like to see a little bit of variation with his kick. There is a fine balance. There's, he doesn't want to be putting in kicks that aren't part of the plan. You know, if you look at a lot of the Blues play, they do like to go to their contestable kicks off 10. Um, I agree, you know, there is that uh, those attacking kick opportunities like a Harvilli, um, like a Geordie Barrett does show. So he, he will want to develop that. But, you know, you also don't want to just get fixated on and go away from what, what, what makes him great. Bowden Barrett is top of the kicks and play stats with 41. So they obviously, like you say, off 10 is what they want. Yeah, especially like uh, obviously they're, they're clearing kicks, but also they love their contestable kicking game with Caleb Clark and AJ Lamb and co on those edges. So, and that, that more often comes off um, Bodie rather a Finlay Christie or, or a 12. But um, I, t I totally get when he's in that All Black jersey, he will have to be kicking because that's, that's a big part of what makes that team um, system work. That's a tough thing to learn, Bryn, at the top level. You don't have to go out and try to do fifth, uh, 10 or 5 kicks, 5 to 10 kicks as a 12, I think. It's just look, maybe it might be 1 or 2 in the game to be able to fix the defence and thinking, man, is Rog going to kick here? Is that an option there? But at the same time, they do kick a lot off Bodie at the moment. I think they have changed a little bit last year. They did a lot of kicking off Finlay Christie and still have the ability to be able to kick off 9, but um, have actually really enjoyed that jip, um, kicking off um, Bodie because mm. the ability that it takes away the escort game um, I've been able to try block off the nine is a lot easier, but um, it seems like the Blues have been able to get the pinpoint accuracy of Bodie and then been able to hunt through and, and blitz through off that ruck, which is a lot easier than, than going off nine. So um, I've really enjoyed that balance with the Blues, actually, um, and it just shows a bit of, I guess, growth in, in their game and seeing how they can try and adapt and be able to be a little bit better. And I think that area of the game has been has bowed really, really well in the first three weeks of the comp. In that game, as the Hurricanes lost 19-25 to the Blues, Peter Luckey showed that he is it. Wow, coming in, um, big shoes to fill. You know, with Adi Savia out, what were his stats? They were pretty strong. 18 tackles, 75 metres and carries. Jipper, he looks like the business. Yeah, he's busy. He's got a massive engine. You know, he's incredibly fit. Um, he's physical. He wants to be involved very much. Like I, I don't want to put that Artie tag on him because you know I don't think there is another Artie Savia, but he's definitely got a great mix um, of the same attributes and that, that hunger and that relentlessness. Man, there's just a, his strength for such a young man. He's only going to develop more and more. 
He's, he's a clear power athlete. The more he develops in coming years, he he will not only be, because he's already a threat defensively and ball in hand, but what I think he where his biggest growth will be, you know, even if he goes up to another level, when he gets that size as the breakdown, I think he's got a massive role to play at the breakdown, you know, moving forward in terms of moving bodies, but also getting turnovers defensively because he likes getting in there. You know, so if he can get another, you know, five or 10 kilos on him and he keeps that same explosive style, he, he's got a huge future. And yeah. when you look at that breakdown, Bryn, really, that was probably the place where the Blues got that game. It's just a massive a massive point for them. The, the ability that they can play um, at a high tempo and Finlay Christie getting that ball out, it'll just wear teams out for the full 80. Um, you know, other than a few line-out issues in that second half, um, you know, the breakdown area is... Is so good for the Blues. I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to say they're probably got the best. You have to think the light, best lightning quick ball in the comp because the efficiency that they have at the breakdown with their big men. Um, like you said, Ross, you're right. Um, that was the winning of the area, especially 22-5 going into half time, and then um, you know the Hurricanes coming on in the second half. But um, yeah, that breakdown area, they are just brutal. All eight are all brutal in that area, which um, which just sets up um, the outside backs as well. Their, their ability to pick and choose their moments defensively, you know, that was a big, um, you know, on the line, big call to end that game. Adrian Choke, you know, you got a got a helping hand from the skipper, Dalton Papali'i, but that, that's a bold play to go for, you know, a counter-ruck right there, midfield. Um, and But they they obviously train it so much that that picture was clear and he didn't even second-guess. And, 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 man, what a result. Like, that is... Because you almost thought the Hurricanes were going to, you know, run away with it, and, and probably, to be fair, they had such a dominant second half. They they may look back and think it's one that got away from them. Well, why don't we just jump straight into the Six Nations? We'll come back to the rest of Super Rugby at the moment because obviously it's World Cup year. Everyone's looking. The Six Nations is, is an incredible competition as ever. France versus England. France fifty-three, England ten was something else. For France, obviously, a statement like we mentioned earlier. For England. A statement in a completely different way about where they might be at. So, Bryn, you touched on it earlier. What is it about France that made them run over England the way that they did? Oh, man, they were just ruthless. Man, I've obviously talked about the pond, but I just want to explain the kind of... I talk around influences with the pond consistently on this podcast, but I don't know any other number nine in the world that has like stats like this that's been able to influence games. So here's a 50-22. Um, which was pivotal in that game. He had a tops to Flamont to be able to set up a try, which was a little attacking kick. He chips to himself, which I don't see many nines doing in the world, to himself to be able to set up, um, gets the chip to himself, kicks in the left-hand side corner, and then been able to build pressure off that. In his running game, he has heart runners. You look at one of his tries, because people are so fixated on him running with the ball close to the line, he has two people that's always in and around him. So you've got big ball carriers from the French that just go run, pretty much run off him, and then they've been able to score off that. So when DuPont was playing like that for France, they're very, very tough to beat. But then also on the defensive side of the ball, they've got people that can be able to win the ball, not just in their loose four trios. So I talked around the Aldrich, who I think arguably could be the best number eight in the world. We obviously rate Artie Severe, but Aldrich is a, is a world-class number eight. But then also Fiku and Dante, their ability at the breakdown defensively um, gets them out of, out of a lot of trouble when teams are attacking them and, and going um, to the wide edge. They can slow down the ball and be able to um, stop people's momentum due to being able to get a um, defensive penalty. And so, and then touching on that, lastly, their defence. They are just absolutely relentless when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. And England only really, I think, 
a silver lining for them is in the 47th minute Stewart's try I think that's the DNA of what it's going to look like for England moving forward when you had Farrell and um, and their 10 um, Smith been able to get good quick ball have an animation in and around um, those two players they were able to score some points off some quick ball but it just didn't happen a lot they were actually pretty awful in the weekend who I thought in England the commentators actually buried them as well with how poor they were because um, mistakes discipline um, not having good feel for the game um, yeah England were in a lot of trouble but in saying that the French were just that much better and I think I was had I had Ireland at number one um, man it's hard to put the French not at number one when they're playing like that what little things are they doing that the other teams aren't doing I think it's the effort areas like I don't want to make the comparison of the All Blacks 2015 side that went on to win the World Cup, but if you if you look at because they put an effort on every player, even when they're not playing well, like when against Scotland, Scotland probably could have had that game. They found a way to win, and then they have an ability to put a side away when they're on. They are ruthless. But if you use Dupont as an example, that kick chase, you know, there's blue jerseys ever. You know, the rule of thumb: get in the get in the picture frame. You know, in terms of kick chase. It puts Marcus Smith under pressure and they end up getting a try from it. You know, when your skipper's leading like that, it's it's pretty hard not to follow. So it's all those unseen. They get themselves in position early, so it's actually easier for them to make decisions. Um, and, and it gives them time. Um, and on the flip side, you know, if, if you use a little effort area, I think it was Kyle Sinclair was uh, over the ruck, securing the ball, and he just got blown off it and then eventually played it with his hands. It's a penalty. They take three. It's those sorts of little things that just add up and, and it just dents the confidence when a team like England, they've got a new coach, new systems, they're clearly low on confidence, um, you know, and just it, it all just adds up. And, you know, I don't think they've won at Twickenham for 18 years. So it, it's actually a massive feat to get the victory, let alone putting that many um, points on, um, you know, especially even late in the piece, they're trying to finish games off and, and put sides away. There were a couple of jaw-dropping comments off the back of that particular game when Johnny Wilkinson in the coverage said he didn't think England were that far away. It reminded me of the Billy Harmon comment the other day about their defence after they copped 60. You know, is Johnny on the money here? Are England that far well, away? If they can sort their skill execution out, you know, they, they, they've been there or thereabouts. You know, they obviously made the World Cup final. But 18, even though when they bet Wales, they were, there were 18 turnovers, handling areas. In uh, um, Monday morning, uh, Sunday morning's game, it was 21 handling areas. So 21 times, 18 times, you're giving the ball back too easy. And you're, you're normally on the back foot when they do give it away. Uh, they are their own worst inning at the moment. Like I know France played well and, and DuPont put them in the right area, but they gifted a lot of it. Um, to them through their own execution and, and not being able to secure the ball. It's a new system and you tend to have those kind of mistakes if it's a new system, you're trying to learn on the run of something that's um, that's new. And so I think in time, if you'd like to think that um, they'd be a lot more clear around their plan and the clarity around their roles, you'd have to think. Um, and then I guess from there, um, like I said, the 47th minute Stuart try, if they, can, if they can play like that for longer periods of time and not being able to give away skill execution errors, then they're actually going to be in a, in a good spot. But at the moment, they're making far too many errors. And I guess um, when you play a team like the French, um, who are in this kind of form and how they played on the weekend, they gave them far too many opportunities to be able to score points. And then the scoreline reflected that. But again, there is a still there is still a little bit more time. And you like to think the longer that they do spend with the new coaching staff and maybe the new systems that have come in, 
um, they will get a lot better in that space, and um, you know they'll be they'll be they'll be setting up ready for the for the World Cup. That'll be their goal, the World Cup. Jipper, do you feel for Marcus Smith? Like he's a guy who seems to be coming in and out of the team. Whenever he plays and they don't go well, everyone just gets on Marcus Smith's back. Is he the playmaker? Is he actually doing the right things at ten? It's just it's too hard when everything else is going wrong. It's always brutal as a ten. Like you, you if the if the platform's going well, you get all the plaudits and the, the forwards get nothing. And and then if it's going poorly, uh, you get you know dealt to. When probably the problems in front of him, he's just not. You know, like Bryn said, when Stewards try. That, that was just dominant collisions. They were they were clear. They were just running direct. They were moving bodies. French defence couldn't adjust. You know, even with Stewart, there's two other white jerseys outside him and inside him running his bodies in motion to the line. And that's what gives him that one-on-one opportunity to go over the top. So um, I don't think it's, you know, all on one player. Um, I think they need to start winning the collisions and sorting out their, um, you know, sort of their skill execution. And that will allow, we know Marcus Smith is a good player. Like you don't become a poor player overnight. Like he does it week in, week out, you know, in the premiership and he's done it for a number of years. He He's just not, the team isn't gelling like that. When there is a lot of change, um, this, you know, it, it's almost the harder you try, the, the worse it can get at times. We saw last year against the All Blacks when they got a go forward, he was absolutely sensational. So I suppose the next question, Bryn, is when you select your 10, surely you've got to select them with the idea that your forwards are going to get dominance and therefore you shouldn't select too conservatively. Maybe you should select a guy like Marcus Smith who's willing to try his hand. Just watching that game on the weekend, I think having Owen Farrell at 12 is going to take a lot of pressure off um, off Marcus Smith. And look, I know he's probably not your kind of your traditional good ball carry X-Factor um, 12. But what Farrell does do, and you see in that Stewart try, just the ability that he does off the ball, communicating to the pods that are there or the outside backs or the, the loose foot on the edge and communicating what um, they need to do. And so that helps Marcus Smith to be able to just focus on his role in front of him and seeing the space in front of him. So that's what Farrell does. He's a great communicator and, he, and he's a 10 as well. So he'll be able to know what Marcus Smith is thinking and being able to give him the info to be able to try and um, get his running game and being able to do that. But you can't do that as a number 10 or a 9 or a 12 or your outside backs if your forwards aren't able to be able to win collisions. We'll get back to Super Rugby very soon and also Opiki, but let's carry on with Six Nations. It is World Cup year and these are huge questions and interesting answers that are coming along when we think to that tournament. Scotland 7, Ireland 22. Once again, a case of Scotland being almost there, but not quite. Jipper, where do they have to make up that difference? Because they're not far away. They're certainly not. Um, and I think, you know, if they score that try before half time rather than going out, that the, the momentum changes. Um, I do think, you know, we spoke, we spoke about the Fiji and Drua and getting the balance right. They only had 18 kicks in play, um, and it was pretty even position-wise. So I just think maybe overplaying their hand, especially coming out of their half at times, which you know has worked for them. But if you don't take your opportunities when you're down the other end, and then you're trying to create them, you know, from from your own half, and and it's not uh, being executed, you've got to have something else to go to. So I think if if they have like a you know, I don't know, a three-phase rule. If, and if they haven't broken them down, then, you know, go to your kick option. I'm not too sure. Um, but, you know, a guy like Finn Russell who's running the team, he will chance his arm. That's what makes him great. So I'm not saying don't lose that edge, but it's just understanding at test match level, you've got to you've got to be able to nail it, especially against teams like Ireland and, and, and France. 
Chip, I'm really keen for your input on the quick throw that Scotland took on their own line. I think it was George Turner took it quickly, threw it long, Ireland grabbed it, went over for what seemed to be a try, and then it got called back. It got called back because they used the wrong ball. You used the wrong ball with a quick throw in and it will be called back, but I would have thought that that rule was in place to stop the team throwing the ball in to take advantage. But if the team that's throwing the ball in doesn't take advantage of it, surely they should be punished for, for using the wrong ball. Is, have I got that wrong? That law seems ridiculous to me. Oh, it's everyone knows it. Like you'll see when the game's getting tight if there's a ball kicked out. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You'll see the odd trainer trying to put their hand out. Um, to touch the ball so that it can't be thrown in quick and, and things like that. So uh, everyone knows the rule. Um, I think, you know, Ireland, Ireland would have been well aware. But, yes, theoretically it doesn't make sense. It was their error. They got punished for their error. Um, and yeah. then due to the rule that, you know, they got lucky. But if anything, because the hooker threw it, um, you know, like was there a chance that he was assuming his line-out was set? Because that is a set throw that you always throw – you can throw straight over the back when there's two or three guys set. Um, so technically, you could probably argue the lineout was set, but I, I, I didn't pause it to see how many um, you know Irish jerseys there were and um, Scottish jerseys. I think Johnny Sexton was selling the rest. <laughs> I'm not going to judge him because I overthrew one against the Highlanders straight to Adam Thompson once, and he did score. So <laughs> I, I, I won't be coming too hard on the odd Scottish hooker. So is it usually the ref tells you that the numbers are there and then you throw, or how does it usually work, Jibber? No, normally players will go two and two, sir, two and two, if you're looking to go quick um, around those sorts of things so that you get confirmation in the ref's head that it's set and you're ready to go. And sometimes defensively, defensively you'll be talking to the ref, oh, yeah, they're set, set, so that you know they can't um, go quick. Jib, do you want to explain that, that two on two, just for our viewers? Yeah, so once once there's two players from each side, um, the lineout is theoretically formed. So that's what you're trying to get as a defence. If you if you're kicking and you're the kick chaser, it's not going to be your throw in. You're constantly talking to the ref to say, is it set? Is it set? Because then that's at least you know you can get into defensive position, and they can't do a quick throw and try and because you remember that uh, the Chiefs sort of turned this on its head. Their their wingers would put the ball down and just keep it by their foot and then come back to it and throw it in quickly. So there was a big focus after that because they got a lot of reward out of it that teams defensively were trying to get the refs to commit to the two and two um, so that, you know, you, you had the ability to get set defensively faster. 
There was another interesting call over the weekend. Karen Crowley, uh, the Italy coach after losing 17-29 to Wales, was absolutely septic. I loved him because he's on international television and he's using really Kiwi terms like bloody oath. You know, and you know, <laughs> I wonder what the Italians make of bloody oath and whether they know what that means. Um, but he did not like the idea that they weren't awarded a penalty try near their own line when I think it was Owen Williams um, came through and uh, held up one of their guys after there had been a really quick tackle and then the ball popped up and then Owen Williams came through and tackled him and, and held him up. He felt like there was a ruck formed. Now, if you look at the footage, there was no ruck form because you need a person from each team over the ball on their feet to form a ruck, right? So I'm sure that for Karen Crowley, if he looked back now, he might realise he got it wrong. But goodness me, did you watch that video, Bryn? He just was absolutely filthy. Passionate would be the word that I'd use. <laughs> Very passionate, uh, like a like a, a couple of other coaches that, we, that we've talked about on this podcast. But yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, I think for me, looking back at it, I think it was it was the right call. There's probably very close around the ruck interpretation around that. Even the Italian captain did talk around that. Uh, but in the end, I did think it, I did think it was the right call. It was it was touch and go, but um, I think the ref in the end did get it right. But um, I think at the same time as a coach, you want to put pressure on on the powers of be in future. Um, but I think for Kieran, he was obviously a bit passionate in that moment, being able to be um, obviously thinking it should have gone the other way. Jeff, even if it's the right call, is that law right? Do you feel like a player should be coming from that position after a tackle, they're coming back on defence, should they be rewarded for not getting in behind on their side of the ball and be able to make a play like that? It feels like they were under a lot of pressure and again, the attacking team should be rewarded, not the defensive team in that position. Yeah, but also you've... The laws are there and I credit players that know them well enough. You know, that's a skill, just like running fast or, um, you know, aerial game. It is a skill to know the laws and make the best out of that situation. If it's not there, then that player doesn't do that. Do you know what I mean? And I get what you're saying, um, but I actually like that play, when players utilise laws like that and for the benefit of their side and them as individuals because it, it shows a depth of knowledge that is so valuable um, for teams to have. Um, so... Uh, the ruck wasn't formed, so he was he was within the rights to do so. And, and I like that aspect of our game. It is it is unique, and and I know sometimes people say it's confusing, but you know I'm sure there's a lot of young rugby players now know that law, and they'll take it to their club footy sides or school sides, and and be better players for it. Mm. There's a 25th straight loss at home in the Six Nations for Italy, Jip. You know they've shown some promise. Yeah. They talk and, about it each week, but they're not there. Uh, no, they're, they're certainly not. I was. I thought. I've got to credit the Welsh. I thought. I thought they played. They turned up. Man, Toby Falatel was outstanding um, at, at number eight. But they took their opportunities. They they looked a different side. The Welsh. Uh, you know, another week under um, Gats, they're looking to look, look like the team that once were um, before he left. You know, I think you know they obviously made the third and fourth playoffs against the All Blacks. Um, so there's a lot of nice signs to like about the Welsh. But you know, Italy just. Couldn't get it done, and and they just were chasing their tail. They 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 let Welsh get on top of them early, and they just couldn't get back in that game. Mm. We talked a bit about Dupont, Bryn. Um, Reese Webb, he's another player who's up there yeah, as far as nice. halfbacks concerned. Yeah, look, he has come back obviously with Warren Gatlin coming back. Um, he's seen something in Reese, and I think you saw it on the weekend. His instinctiveness around 
whether it be the attacking kicks or kicking in general or just even sniping abilities. He showed that in the Barbars, actually, before we returned from Welsh. And when he came on off the bench for that Barbarians game, was really good around the sniping um, sniping area. So, yeah, he was massive for them. And Toby Folletau, um to boot as well, was great. He put in a great performance as well. But, yeah, I think for Reese Webb, um, him coming back, if they can give him that front football and his ability to be able to snipe, um, I think it's something that brings something different. Now, that's not to say Thomas Williams um, isn't able to do that because he he is a running nine. But, yeah, when you have an experienced side of Reese Webb, who's played a lot of test matches, has been a lion, um, and can play like that, um, it's going to be massive for the Welsh moving forward. Mm. Moving forward, they're playing France in France this weekend. That is not something that you really want to be doing right now. Jip, do you see them having any show of getting even close? Well, as I said about the French earlier, I just think they just they've they've their mojo is um, you know back certainly in terms of their style. But even if they're having an off day, they just they find a way to win. Man, they've just got something about them. Um, and at home, I just think you know World Cup is going to be so hard to go there and and beat them at, at home. That that that's it's probably a step too far. Speaking of hope, Bryn, uh England any hope against Ireland and Ireland? No. Well, it just, dep- just depends with the injuries. Um, there have been a fair few injuries um, in that Irish camp, which we saw and talked around. Um, people have to play out of position. So it'd be interesting to see how their depth is, is tested when it comes. But um, I think with what we've seen um, with England, um, you have to think that Ireland will get the job done there. But um, you never know. Um, the, it is the Six Nations and the Irish and English always have a, have a great rivalry. But um, I think for me, the way that they've won with a good team, and they've obviously shown ability to be able to win with a lot of injuries and being solution-focused, I think it'll just be one step too far for the English to get a result against Ireland. That was straight-up nut from Jip. Nut. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think... I, I, the issues aren't going to be turned around in a week. I, I just don't believe so. Excellent. Well, why don't we jump from there into our tipping comp? Uh, if you would like to join us on our tipping comp, and you can go to Super Rugby Tipping. We'll bring down a little banner down here. You can see exactly where the URL is. Come on to our league, Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Join us. You will probably beat us. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're doing too badly, you know. Um, I'm only 177th in the league. Daniel McKenzie is our leader at the moment with 15 points. Uh, Chip is at 94th. I'm at 177. Bryn, same points as me at 185. Uh, it's been a tough week of tipping, especially with the Crusaders, Bryn, you know, to, to keep on top of that. Yeah, and the Rebels. My arch, arch nemesis of the Rebels, they put an absolute performance against the Waratahs. So, yeah, no good for me. No good for me. I'm not even a tipper. Jeez, I'm just a battler at the moment. So, yeah. Where, where, where are the Waratahs? Where are the Waratahs at? I, I mentioned it last week. Their squad is too good to be losing these games. Like... A credit to the Rebels, I actually was really impressed with the way they played and, um, you know, getting the result at home. And, and they need to be seriously thought about now. I actually think there's a bit about a bit of steel in that squad. Is you know, they've got a few big guns injured to come back as well. So, you know, their ability to slip into the eight um, is actually genuine now for the Rebels. But the Waratahs, I, I just don't know what's going on there. Like, taking three options of three when, you know, they, they're behind, you know, it, I don't know, it was just never felt like they were going to win that game. Missing opportunities, um, you know, doing that, you know, they, they create all these opportunities, they're just not, they're not getting the points or the reward for it and then then they find themselves chasing. I, I, I mean, from where they were last year, getting into the eight, you know, they were serious contenders um, and I think Coleman's a great coach 
Um, I just don't know where where the mojo's at at the moment. If memory serves me correct, Bryn, you picked the Rebels. No, I tried to convince him. Oh, <laughs> he tried to convince me, mate, and I should have gone with it. I should have gone with it, but again, I just think Jip and I we've talked about it that the squad that they have and um, how they were last year, you'd think that they were going to change for the Rebels that Rebels game, but no, the Rebels have come along, and I'm gonna have to start picking them. I'm gonna have to start picking them. Oh, actually, maybe if, if I stop, if I stop, if I don't start picking them, they can keep using my 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 screen and saying that I don't back them. And they, I could just be their their um, spokesman saying this guy's an idiot. Let's keep putting him up on board. This is one of those idiots in, New, in, in Japan and from New Zealand. You'll get to the end of the year. You'll find out that their entire year was themed Bryn Hall, and uh, that <laughs> took them all the way to the playoffs. Hey, if it works for a team, geez, I've got no problem doing that. <laughs> I don't have to play them anymore, Ross, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, now you're not having to yeah. play them. Yeah, all they've yeah. got is a photo of Bryn Hall with his bicep up with Super Rugby titles written on it in the changing room. Yeah. <laughs> no, they won't, man. They'll have me getting bumped off from Marty Severe. They'll get <laughs> Absolutely, but in saying that, the Rebels are going to play the Chiefs away this weekend, so they really stand no chance of that, I would have thought, Jippet. Oh, I think Bryn should pick them. I'll go the Chiefs, Brink, and pick the Rebels. <laughs> no, I won't be going the Rebels. I'll be going the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Chiefs, interesting stat. I noticed Damien McKenzie is so far ahead on kick metres from everybody else. They are kicking long, Jeffa. Yeah, and, and a lot. They kick they kick a lot. Um, but it's because they've got that swarming mindset in their kick chase. Like, it's such a... You know, they pride themselves in those effort areas and, and they swamp teams. They try to trap you down there. Um, and they say, if you want to come out of your half, you, you're going to have to be pretty good to do it because we'll get a turnover and um, make you pay. Yeah, give the ball to Sean Stevens. Call it a try. But, yeah, but they've got such good aerial, um, you know, wingers, um, and, and Sean can play that role as well at, at times. So, um, you know, it's it's smart to utilise that part of their game. Just on their kicking game, they're winning a lot of the um, the territorial the territorial kind of plays with having the likes of Sean Stevenson um, and Damian McKenzie kicking long into the 22 area, a lot of teams are actually then trying to kick it out and they're getting a net gain from the 40-metre line and being able to mm. then go into their, their attacking phases off that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a massive weapon that they're using. Damian and um, Sean Stevenson's boots, whether it be from 10 or being able to go one or two passes from Damian to give to Shooter and to give it you know, 50, 60 metres on the fly, um, it's been massive. And coming back to Jip's point around them swarm, their swarming defence and teams whether they want to try to counter-attack out and then it's a click opportunities of a knock-on that they score off or being able to kick it to the 40-metre line and then using their, um, their set attack off that. The other weapon I like is the way that they're using a Nana Satoru. Like, at times in the past, I felt like he's gone missing from games and he's got far too good a skill set to go missing from games. Using him in the midfield when the opposition is reeling, Jip, is just so, so dangerous. Especially if he can catch some tight forwards in and around their defensively. Mm. Like, he is just so um, electric. And that's not a slide on tight forwards. The reality is that, that they, you know, when they're tired, it's just a guy like him can become very troublesome if there's two of them together. Um, and he picks on that. Like, he's, he's got that sevens background. He knows about, you know, I suppose, defenders' body language and, and what areas. And he's not afraid to head a little bit infield to find that weak defender rather than just trying to stay within a system. And um, he looks good in the glide, man. He looks fit, he looks healthy, and, and um, 
he's just he's got something X factor about him, doesn't he? Every time he touches the ball, you almost feel something's going to happen, and he'll come out the other side of the defence. But he's also shown a versatility with his kicks as well. Um, so I don't know. I think he's just maturing as a rugby player, and he's he's understanding the 15th game a little bit better, and, and you know when opportunities are there and when when they're not. Hey, before we get to the OPIC semi-finals, let's just go through the tipping for this weekend. So obviously, Chiefs for both of you. Blues Crusaders, uh, how do you see that going, Jip? Blues. Now, I, I, it is going to be a tight one because if you go um, off the final last year, you, Patrick Tupelodu went off the field, not sure um, where his injury's at. You know, I don't know where Sam Darry's at. I think he might still be injured. So it's a, it's a big um, opportunity for a guy. I mentioned James Tucker a few weeks ago and how important he could be to that Blues squad um, and making sure that they've got I suppose plan A, B, and C um, at lineout time because a guy like Sam Whitelock is not going away, um, and you have to be very, very creative to, to outfox um, um, Sam. So I think that'll be a key area, and I'd say it'd be a key game plan for Crusaders. Is you know early on, let's just put it out and chance our arm, and and really get those demons coming back. Um, but I think if the Blues can provide that platform at home. Um, that they'll go in as favourites and, and I'll take my patch off and, and, and pick them instead. <laughs> what about your patch, Bryn? Yeah, I think the points that Jip brings on, if you're going to um, get a result, obviously pick the Crusaders, but um, I think the set piece-wise will be, will, will be massive for around them, um, whether that, especially at line-out, I think they'll probably take a little bit of confidence seeing that second half um, of the Blues game, the worries that they had at line-out time in the second half. Um, they'll be chomping at a bit to try and um, exercise a few more demons when it comes to set piece wise for the Blues, but um, they're gonna have to get a lot. Of, their execution is gonna have to be a lot better. I know they've they changed a lot of players, um, so they'll get probably a strong 23. But like I said before, the, the the decision around who's gonna be in the midfield at the 12 will be very, 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 very important for the Crusaders. But um, very tight game. Um, but again, I'll, I'll pick the Crusaders. But um, yeah, they're running out of chances. The chance that they've got to get it right. That's a it's a must win for them. I think. One out of three, they can't go one out of four because then it takes away the ability to, to have a final at home, which is very pivotal um, coming into the quarterfinal and semifinal stage, having that home um, advantage. I get the feeling that's not hard and head picking them, Bryn. I get the feeling it's it's definitely hard, but head's a little 50-50 on it. Well, I just think with how they've played, um, you know, it doesn't give you, um, if you're a punter, you look at the confidence and they're, they're not, um, you know, they're not three from three, they're not two from three, they're one from three. But um, I know they will get a bit of... Um, um, better around their selections and I think the, the the 23 that will be selected you'll see of them a little bit more moving forward and um, yeah it'll be a hell of a week I know the Blues week it's always a good preparation week and there'll be a bit of, be a bit of edge in training especially coming on the back of a loss Okay Brumbies versus MP that seems quite straightforward Jip Yeah Brumbies felt for MP the other night though it was, it was tough tough on them but couldn't get it done mm-hmm. Perth is a tough place to go but yeah Brumbies will be pretty hard It's not an easy go from yeah. Wana Pacifica at the moment Bryn? No, well, look, they should be. You'd like to think they could be two from three, you know, sitting on on two wins. But the last, the last, last couple of minutes of those those two games against Andrua and the Force, um, you know, it's cost them. It's cost them two wins. So, yeah, very very tough start for them. They could be sitting pretty two and three, very similar to Andrua, but um, obviously that's not the, that's not the story for them at the moment. Landers v Force, Bryn. Oh, Landers, you have to think the Landers. I think they showed enough. I think obviously they didn't get the result against the Chiefs, um, but I think having Aaron Smith back and Shannon Frizzell and, and DeGroote, 
it'll bode them well, and I think they'll get their first one. Definitely get their first one of the year. Yeah, uh, definitely the Landers. I th- I actually thought that score probably flattered the Chiefs. They 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 were in in that game and uh, definitely looked a lot better than previous weeks. Clark Dermody definitely looked a little bit happier. He, he kind of smiled a little bit <laughs> in the post match. <laughs> he didn't have to talk about fifty points, so he's probably happy about that. <laughs> I still don't think he'd be overly happy. No, it's an improvement nonetheless. You've got to smile at some point, though, don't you? You do, you do. And the Reds versus the Drua. Now, away from home in Queensland, Bryn, do you think that the Drua can back up against the Reds? No, I don't think they can. I think the Reds... um, I think the Reds will just pip them. I think when it will come to set-piece time, I think that's where... They'll get the job done there. But if it was in Latoka or Suva, I'd be picking the, the Ndrua. But I still want to see them try and winning from home a little bit more. Like I know they haven't been here in the competition for a while and they have um, shown a lot of promise in the preseason. But for me, I've just got to see it. But I'm going to be picking the Reds this week. Yeah, look, I'd love to pick the Ndrua, but I think the Reds are just too methodical. Um, you know, I don't think they'll get the opportunities that were presented to them Um in, in the conditions in low toka, so got there in the end. <laughs> you did. Now, we've got a big weekend of semifinals coming up in Opiki. We've got Matatu versus the Blues and the Manawa versus the Power coming off that third round. It's, I mean, it's a very quick competition, so you feel like you're just getting going, um, which I suppose is tough for some of the teams that aren't the Manawa chip. You know, they, it takes time to get going. The Manawa hit the ground running and the others have been getting their game together. How hard is it to get going in three weeks of a competition to keep up with a leader like that? You know, how long should it take a team to hit their straps? Yep. Yeah, I mean, they do. They have a pre-season fixture and they have some time pre-Christmas together, but it's it's probably you know that, that's where the growth in the game is, is, is you know providing more games and, and potentially maybe Trans Tasman um, opportunities as well. But um, I think all the sides of presented um, really well. I think this, the quality of football um, that's been played um, and the style, like it's certainly entertaining. You talk about, um, you know, I think it was 30-odd minutes ball and play for both games. Um, so there's there's plenty of action and, and there's plenty of tries. So I just think what the Manawa, what makes them different is they've just got a pack that they just go to. You know, like we used to see it with the Crusaders as, um, you know, Bryn will know this, as they just go to, they'd go to their set piece. They go to a scrum, they go to a driving mall, and and that's how they would, you know, drain teams and get team get the results. And that's exactly what the Chiefs Manawa did. Like they were behind, um, you know, and they just went driving mall try, big scrum turnover try for Kennedy Simons, um, you know. So like, if you're going to beat them, you 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 cannot switch off at any stage when it comes to a line out or a scrum. It was 46-38 Chiefs over Matatu on the weekend. That seemed like a pretty big step up from Matatu and they started incredibly strongly. No, they did. They were 19-7 up after 20 minutes and um, really put the pressure on um, the Chiefs' Manawa. But I think it just comes back to Chipper's point. Um, their set piece is so dominant. Their forward pack is so dominant. Um, you've got to be able to stay with them for the whole 80. And then even if you do do that, you've got to be able to take away their, back, their backs as well. So the complementary play that they have at the moment, um, they'll, they'll tie you out through your set piece, whether it be scrum, maul, even your pick and goes in and around the close quarters. Um, it's able then to be able to go out to the backs with like the likes of Willison. I mean, even Hazel Chubica, I think her game management, her kicking ability as a triple threat is massive for, for that Chiefs Manawa team. But um, if Matatu 
go through and they beat the Blues, I think they'll take confidence in knowing that um, if they do get things right for a certain amount of time, that first 20 minutes, they have an opportunity to beat um, to beat the Chiefs' Manawa. But it's going to take a very special team to do that. And they're playing a Blues team who, um, again, um, is at home. And I think um, they did show improvements and have been able to get that result late against the Polar, who I think, if you're looking at the Polar side, probably thought that one got away. You know, 22, what was it, 22-12 in the 71st minute and then with the likes of, of, um, of the 9-10 combo of Cottrell and um, Puckett coming in um, to be able to do the quick taps and I guess build that tempo in the last 10 minutes was a little bit too much for the pole so it's been a great spectacle of all sides I think all four t- sides play a different way but Chiefs Manawa um, they're the one team that um, that are dominant that they show dominance and are probably a little bit better than the three other teams at this stage Do you see any chance of the pole getting close to Manawa in the semi and, and getting an upset chip? Well, if there is a side that can turn games on its head, it is it is the power. But uh, I just don't see their biggest weakness um, in the round robin play was they couldn't match some scrum time. But to be fair, after that game, um, Murray has really stepped up and, and and got that pack humming. Um, so it will be a different beast for the Manawa. Maybe not as easy as they think, but. Um, it's just making sure they can do that for 80 minutes because the Chiefs Manoa won't go away. They'll keep coming to it because they know it's such a strike play. Um, but you'd have to think, based on form and what we've seen, um, the Chiefs get that one. Yeah, the Blues, on the other hand, I mean, they got that win against the Power. They should have beaten Matatu uh, if it wasn't for a conversion at the end, Bryn, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Do you see the Blues taking that game out, being at home, considering the arsenal they have in the backs and when they do get going? They're almost impossible to stop. Well, I guess that's the challenge for the Blues. I think it really is a, a coin flip between those two teams. Um, you know, you'd have to think Matatu um, coming into set piece-wise, they'll want to try and dominate that area um, and then give the opportunities of, um, you know, Grace Brooker, who's been great for the for the, for the the Matatu this year. But um, the biggest thing for the Blues is that they can get their power athletes in there and be able to get the offload game and get good go-full ball. Um, you know, they've got a great inside pairing with their midfielders and their outside backs who have talked around uh, with Colossi and um, Vahakolo getting balls into those hands. And I think the one thing that I have liked um, that I saw against on the weekend is the ability of their bench coming on to be able to give that impact. You know, I talked around the 9 and 10 coming on and I guess changing that game in the last 10 minutes. That could be the difference um, in the back end of the game because traditionally against these two teams, whether it be Canterbury and Auckland and in previous um, Farrah Palmer Cups, it always comes down to those last five minutes and the bench could be crucial um, in which the Blues did very well against um, um, the pole on the weekend. Looking forward to the 12 battle. You said Brooker, but I thought Malipo, her performance yep. on the weekend was second to none. Obviously came onto the scene earlier and probably hasn't played as much role in the Black Ferns of late, but man, she's put her hand up for a, for a, for a test match this this season for sure um, and I mean both those players are putting their hands up so that battle of the midfield is going to be really really exciting one on one she is a nightmare to tackle Zipper. oh and just looks so you know like I always say you love watching Artie Savia play he always does everything with a smile on his face just full of energy it's like she's the same you know like it's infectious to watch this looks like she just loves the game of footy and, and enjoys enjoys the you know the competitive edge of it yeah, and she's bloody good at it too. So, uh, Jipper, for you, who's in the final? Manawa Masatu. Same. There we go. Jeez, he's gone against the Blues. He must believe it. He must believe oh, it. It's just the, it's the Amy Rule factor, Georgia Ponsby, that, that, that type five I've got. Um, 
as you know, there's a lot of um, young players in that the Blues type five, um, and that they'll be seriously tested. They're a chance. They are a chance, but I can't sit on the fence, can I? So. <laughs> no, no, and we're happy that you don't. We're happy that you don't. Okay, once again, thank you very much, James Parsons. We'll see you again next week, and Bryn Hall as well. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, boys. Cheers, Ross. We'll catch you all next week on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Don't forget, catch the Opiki finals this weekend. The Six Nations, see where the island's going to get that Grand Slam. Of course, Super Rugby Pacific as well on Skycatch. All of the feedback, all of the articles on rugbypass.com through the social feeds. If you want to get a hold of us, send us an email, aotearoarugbypod at sky.co.nz. Go to our submissions feed if you want to send us a video with your opinion. The uh, URL will come up down here in just a moment. We'd really love to hear from you, engage with you, ask us any questions that you have, and we'll attempt to answer them. Thank you very much once again. Matewa.